Welcome to The Guardian, a podcast aimed to educate citizens about law enforcement practices. I'm your co-host, Madison Otto. Our guest today is Tyler Davis. Davis is an investigative lieutenant with a highly decorated resume. Acting Lieutenant Davis has experiences as a former team leader for the Marshall Service and SWAT team leader. He has a bachelor's degree in criminal law and has revolutionized this department's narcotics warrants. He has agreed to speak with us today about the importance of training and tactical training in law enforcement. Welcome to the podcast, Lieutenant Davis, and thank you for being here with us today. Yeah, thank you for having me. Thank you for being here, Tyler. Appreciate it. I appreciate all the heads up. So, <laughs> No doubt for our listeners out there, uh, listen, whenever, just a little heads up, we're new in the podcast, and so when you have police officers that are sitting in the seat, that probably means we couldn't close uh, on a, a speaker, <laughs> but none could be better than, than Tyler when it comes in regards to what we're going to be talking about today, the importance of police training and specifically what Tyler brings is is a little bit of expertise in tactical training um, versus general patrol um, training. I think for our viewers they need to know that police training for the most part in America is insufficient and I think that any expert that you talk to in the policing field will tell you that it is relatively low compared to other industrial nations and it's something that if you are an advocate for um, police to improve, uh, then we need to fight hard for police training and to get them the equipment and effective training necessary to reach up to the standards. Uh, law enforcement is a tough job. This is why we chose this subject. It is something that is very dynamic. You can go from zero to 150 in no time. Right. And how you're training and the way we're institutionally built is just not meeting the standards anymore. And so uh, not necessarily speaking about our department and specifically not uh, agencies that are accredited, but there are a lot of agencies out there that are not reaching that that bar. So, Tyler, again, welcome to the podcast. I know that you were, uh, a.k.a. ordered to be here. <laughs> Glad to have you on board. Can you explain exactly what tactical training is from your perspective? Yeah, so tactical training is is when you can start training for high stressful situations. Mm -hmm. So obviously every officer gets a basic understanding of how to be a police officer. And then tactical training evolves that into policies, procedures, and how to react in a split second, but also do it the right way. And if you don't go through those trainings, you don't get that experience. You don't want your first experience in a stressful situation to be the first time you've dealt with something. Mm -hmm. You know, we as police officer trainers, and, uh, you know, and as administrators, you want to make sure that you're putting themselves through those scenario-based trainings and getting that beefed up early on. That way, when they deal with it, they may not be fully prepared, but any preparation is better than none. That's right. You have to mimic uh, as real world as possible. So from an administration standpoint, that's why we give you guys simulation rounds. It's really <clears throat> give you firearms, simulated rounds, right. firearms uh, to mimic actual real world de-escalation, less lethal. Uh, that's something that people, when they think of tactical training, they go immediately to Hollywood imagery, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the infamous, uh, what was the movie, SWAT, that had the gals? Hondo yeah, roll. Uh, yeah, the Hondo roll, yeah. the infamous <laughs> Hondo roll. Law enforcement everywhere is kind of laughing on that one because I've, I've yet to feel the need for how we train with a Hondo roll going into shooting. But your team in real-world scenarios need to be your best, and I think that a lot of agencies out there don't understand uh, where we need to do for as far as the commitment. They are under pressure. Any sheriff, any chief will tell you they're under pressure with retention and recruitment. It is a national crisis. 
And too often training is getting cut, yet when you watch the news and you see someone performing poorly, generally that is due to poor training, Uh, the use of emotions rather than the use of uh, preset training that that had their uh, motor skills developed. Right. You can tell, you know, and that's one thing that I like to do in, in free time is reviewing police situations. And you can tell really quick who's trained for it before and who's never been in that situation before. And you have that fight or flight or freeze and act. And people talk about those things. If you don't have the training to back up, back down to, you're going to have nothing to pull from, right? Everyone talks about a tactical toolbox. That's why we train. If you don't have a toolbox when you need the tool, nothing's going to be there. That's right. And that's why you see people underreact, overreact, or um, just not handle the situation accordingly, almost like they're in a total different situation because they've never experienced it. And ultimately, we can't control the stress we put on our bodies, right? We only can put tools there for us to mimic and understand what that stress is, and that way we can better react. So I think that too many people really do not understand what decentralized policing is, and I've, I've been an advocate for more centralized policing. And what that means is it's the way that your police forces are structured throughout the world. You've got decentralized, which is, you know, like us, 18,000 different kingdoms. Uh, I jokingly say kingdoms, but there are different agencies that are out there. Then you've got centralized departments like France, like Spain. The Europeans are very good at it in a lot of other parts of the world. And based on our Constitution, which don't get me wrong, I love, I think it's amazing. Uh, you have a structure when it comes to police training, though, we have a problem. Right. We have no federal mandate standards. You've got all these different standards. It's a patchwork there. And what happens when you're leaving it up on the individual agency, the individual department, they look at their personnel, they look at their their budgets, and too often training is the first thing that is cut. No. And training for personnel to be ready for those realistic situations. And I'm going to bring it back to Coleman High School, right? Uh, what did we learn from watching that tragedy? Uh, people showed up on a perimeter. They were waiting for SWAT. The first responders weren't dynamically trained to make entry. And then we said, okay, we're going to change that. We're going to do all this active shooter training. We're going to get first responders out there prepared to to rock and roll on the threat. And we trained and we trained. And the numbers of active shooters increased. And they uh, increased. Then you get a parkland. Mm-hmm. Then you get as Uvalde, Texas, and you see the disconnect. What happened with all this culturally? We're gonna, we're gonna treat our first responders. They're gonna no longer. We're gonna wait for SWAT. We're gonna have to go ahead. We're gonna have to be tactically sound. Listen, the difference between Uvalde, Texas, and the difference between Nashville, Tennessee, of recent, right, is training. Yeah. It's officer, it's agency, and it matters. And you can't stress that enough because you don't wake up and say, today's the day you're going to have a national event. This is why you have to train, and it's critically important. Yeah, you have to put in the work every single day. And you and those are you know four states away from each other. But realistically, you can go across the county line, and training is drastically different. You know, Not even Mississippi, every single state, every agency, every person you encounter, you know, it's very much when you go, oh, the police understand that that's one million different training organizations with one million different standards, right? And so that's why, you know, we try to put as much emphasis on training as we can. And I think the results speak for themselves. So, Do you all think that certain departments or agencies would benefit from a more like, cre- like a created centralized 
training just like tiny basic ideas not making it so structured to where we shift to from decentralized to centralized or do you think that could be an issue because not everybody wants to do train or do the same thing i don't think what has anything to do with it i would be very clear i'm gonna to touch on points that we did before i think that the silver bullet is there i intentionally mentioned accreditation i think that law enforcement has to embrace accreditation I think the want and desire uh, has nothing to do with it. This is about agencies changing, getting the structure, giving the political leadership to support them to seek out accreditation. And that means that you're falling into national standards. I can say that because our agency is. There's our, our local agencies here that we uh, share. They're accredited, uh, whether state or national. It is critical. You would not want to send, I said this, I think in the first podcast, I'm not for sure, but you would not want to be treated by a hospital that's not accredited. Why do you expect law enforcement services from an agency that's not accredited? Accreditation address, training it, puts together, it is the silver bullet for police reform. Mm -hmm. And it mandates, hey, if you want this accreditation, doesn't matter whether you're in Mississippi, Alabama, Texas, wherever, you're going to meet these certain standards. They they were very adamant about coming about true de-escalation training. Mm -hmm. And when they mandated that, one of the first things we did was unite with uh, some of our interns, PhD, Capali, and she put together uh, a mock apartment where we had role players at MSU Theater. We did real world, not just read from a policy change, mm -hmm. but real world de-escalation training, how to deal with mental health issues, real stuff that we deal with on a day-to-day -day basis, giving our people the opportunity. And then we, you know, from the flip side of that, when you're not talking about de-escalation, you're talking about some type of messaging with tactical deployment. We've been very clear. You have to be able to lead when you put on a badge and gun. If shots are fired and we have an active shooter situation, you have to go address the threat. Mm -hmm. This isn't something that where you're going to rely upon the message of the message of the message of someone that is far, far away trying to make those decisions that you had in uh, Texas, which you did not have in Nashville. Mm -hmm. uh, the clear message, and that comes down to training. And so, Tyler, with that, I mean. Yeah, I think the biggest thing you said is, is standards, right? Yeah. And if you, it's ironic that when you go to every state, what do we have? Minimum standards, right? And it is bare minimum. And that's where every officer starts, right? And whether it's, you know, 200 hours to 1,000 hours, that's supposed to be the beginning. And if you don't have things like Kalia and other people that are coming in and monitoring, then people will stop there. Agencies stop there. Officers stop there, right? There's a reason you have the most fit cops right after the academy. And then you look at an agency and they get more and more obese and out of shape over the course of the year because there is no more minimum standard. Right, right? It's not part of their culture. It's not part of the culture at all. And I think that's one thing that we need to train. You know, you look at the, the military and people like that. Well, they have to be prepared for something, right? They're always prepared and they're always preparing, right? There's no reason that police shouldn't be doing the same thing. We should always be preparing. We should always be training. And you should always have standards that you need to meet. Um, and agencies that aren't doing that, you can tell really quick when they involve in these situations that you should have people on the front lines, that officer, that three-year officer should be able to have the training, have the know-how, and be able to make executive decisions in crucial situations because all of us with experience probably aren't going to be there for a while, right? right? And if we don't em embark in that training, you're, you're not, you can't expect much from the front lines. So. That's right. From the time you take on that responsibility and, and 
also that goes back to what we talk about. We, Jacqueline, we just completed uh, one of the test questions for promotions was about 21st century policing. And training kind of goes into one of the core components there of, you know, your mental health, physical conditioning. It goes hand in hand. That is, again, another thing that with the academy, any police academy is very good at that. You know, they they stress very hard how it goes into your ability to handle stress, physical conditioning, taking care of yourself. But when you go into institutions that's not a part of their culture— it starts failing their people. And one, perhaps one of the toughest orders that I recall is, is we had PT standards. We went ahead and locked down your PT instructor and you've got right. a few up under you. They are ruthless. I'm yeah. telling you right here. <laughs> I don't like them when they're making me do push-ups. And when I'm running around the track, um, obviously my scores aren't as high as what I want them to be. But when I'm running around that track and it's cold and the, the steam's coming out, I'm going, I'm the one that gave this order, right? right. Um there's no, there's nothing there to say that we couldn't do away with it other than it's not the right thing to do. Right. And so that kind of goes back into if we're preparing our people to handle the stressors, to see the things that they see, to take care of them, it comes back to for training. But the mm-hmm. purpose today is to go a little bit up on tactical training, right? Right. So, and I think Madison had a good question on the front end. What is the difference between tactical training that you'll see within SWAT officers um, versus training within patrol. What are some of the differences that you're looking at there? So the biggest thing that we want to focus on is, is really three things. We want to focus on um, building experience as much as possible, right? So we go through tons of hours of training scenarios. We go through mock trainings. We go through mental block trainings. Um, so we do mental assessments of houses, and then we'll do a, uh, an actual live assessment of house, and then we'll introduce stimulus, whether it be sim rounds, or um, people just interacting with you. Because one thing we want to make sure that we're able to do is is determine, is this a threat, is it not a threat? And we have to do that in milliseconds. Not seconds, milliseconds. Explain um, what sim rounds are, by the way. For- um, so sim rounds are can be made of rubber or paint or anything else, and they still hurt. They'll still affect you. Um, you know, you'll still have bruises and stuff, and if you've ever been to a, a good SWAT school, you probably still have those bruises years, years later. But, yeah, so they, have, they um, allow us to train. They get people's heart rates up because it does inflict pain. Um, and they are actually really accurate. So it's a good assessment if you want to um, go through a scenario and know if your guys can be accurate with their handguns or rifles and how are they going to react in an actual uh, gunfight or a stressful situation. It's a perfect environment, right? So you put those sim rounds and you'll see everything slow way down. You'll see people that used to be heroes. They're not so much heroes anymore, right? And because they are now going back to their training, but you also see operations get really clean. And that's one thing that we see more than anything else is you'll have some mistakes. You introduce sim rounds, the mistakes get very minimal, right? Because that threat's not there. And that's why if you don't do scenario-based training and realistic training, then you may be wasting your time training here. You You can't do this through a PowerPoint. You You cannot do this through a policy where you have to do pain compliance. You have to put hands on on it, right? You absolutely do. And and I think that from, from SWAT, we also take the basics and enhance them. Right. So a lot of people love to go, you know, how does SWAT shoot so much better? Well, we train the basics every single day. Right. SWAT, SWAT operators have homework. Right. Every week we want to see you do 300 draw strokes from that holster and we want you to be accountable for it. Right. We want to make sure that we have standards in place, which, you know, like one of our standards is a shot from a holster from anywhere. Doesn't matter. The, the distance is 1.5 seconds. Right. And a lot of people go, well, it should be three yards. No, I don't care where you are. It's 1.45 seconds if you're going to draw your pistol, right? So meeting those standards and making sure that our training 
prepares them for that. And then we reinforce that with um, our qualifications. So we go through qualifications and it reinforces that, oh, this training's working because our standards are being met. People aren't failing qualifications sure. when the standards appear. We're passing them because we've reinforced it with training. So. And, for, and for the average listener out there that's going to Hollywood and, and you mentioned shooting pretty quick in the Honda role, mm-hmm. tons of less lethal training and development, how to work with uh, mentally uh, special needs and right. uh, mental crisis situations. Um, that's a part of the training as well because the mark of a good SWAT team is to show up in a very dangerous situation and come out without injury, without liability, to win the day. And that is the mark that our team holds. And I'm very proud of the uh, call-outs that you've handled, not just locally, but regionally. And that goes, I think any administrator out there listening knows that that is the mark of a good team. They're thrown into very tough, dangerous situations. Mm-hmm. Um, and to be able to come out and sometimes less lethal is used. Uh, sometimes people are, you know, high as right. a kite and very aggressive and armed and, and these situations happen. But they're brought to conclusion without anyone seriously getting hurt. That's not always a given. Right. These are very dangerous situations sometimes. Yeah, and, and that's what we focus on. You know, we yeah. keep a ratio of three to one. So we have lethal, and then the, every third person has less lethal, right? And so we do that for a very good reason. But also, if you were ever to get a sneak peek on an operation plan, you would see that we have two people that are communicators, and their only goal is to de-escalate. Their goal is to get people out of the house, keep them calm, remain calm. They're never to be hyped up. They're not, they have no other role other than getting people out of the house, speaking to them, calming parents down, reassuring that they're, you know, children are going to be okay or whatever it may be, that is their job. And that's part of SWAT and that's part of being a SWAT team member. And it's a lot of things that people, you've probably never heard anybody talk about that, right? right? But we have to train on that. How do we get these people to um, do what we need them to do to keep everything safe? Because we want to make sure that we come out of there, not only ourselves safe, but the people that we're dealing with safe. We don't want to cause any injuries. We don't want any, um, even using less lethal, we just train it so that we don't have to use it. It's a force multiplier that people understand now. And if you train with it appropriately and you use things simple like flashlights, flashlights can be a big control multiplier. Um, and it adds a fear factor of not knowing what's behind the light. And police use that to great effect. And SWAT, you know, we spend hours a year just training how to manipulate people with flashlights to get de-escalation, right? Um, but we have to focus on those things because, you know, that shooting is probably 10% of our, our job and training time. The right. rest of it's tactical procedures, SOPs policies, right? And we're going through those relentlessly to make sure that we're clean, but also evaluating where other people have made mistakes so that we don't make the same mistake, right? There's no reason to create, um, you know, the wheel. It's been created. And we can go through those policies and procedures and make it much cleaner for us on a tactical side. Um, But yeah, going through the basics, making sure that we're training every single day. And that's huge for SWAT officers. You have to be physically in shape, you know, so doing the little things after you clock out are vital, right? Middle training, physical training, um, and then getting those homework reps is, is key for us to stay on top of our game. What it allows in a situation like when Arizona is playing a football game at Mississippi State and you get a notification that an individual is on the run from Loxley, Alabama, has shot in, uh, another person 13 times, and you know that, okay, it, it's meeting SWAT protocol. Let's Correct. go out. Let's go handle this. Let's handle this in a situation. While the confidence that you have when you put it into a team and the individuals apprehended without issue, without entry, and on Monday we're 
we're pushing out the press release and and without any without any problems. So Correct. what goes into for our viewers, what goes kind of into a threat assessment for decision making so they can understand the difference between a general first responder type of call or where supervisors starting to look in, hey, this might be a tactical right. situation. And speaking of supervisor in that incident, that's what happened. A supervisor was contacted by another agency. He was given the brief of what was going on. And from his brief, he immediately contacted me. He said, hey, this is a SWAT situation because we train on um, threat assessments all the time. Um, we have a threat assessment sheet. I won't dive into what it goes through, but it goes through every element that could be, um, you know, could evolve, right? And if it could evolve, then we want to make sure we're prepared for it. But it also is based on facts, right? So the whole system is based on facts, and it, it'll state, is it um, SWAT call-out capable, right? Is it just a consult the SWAT commander and let's see if we think we need to do this? Um, or is it something that can patrol can handle? And patrol supervisors have been really dialed in on going through those sheets, Right. So when they call me, I assess it. And then um, that's the second eye looking at it. Hey, is this something that SWAT needs to be? OK, we got a fugitive from the law that has committed violent crime. Yeah, we're going to have SWAT, you know, come out on it. And in the middle of game day, absolutely. I'm handling one task and I have to shift, put another hat on and make a call out. And, and luckily we have professional personnel on our SWAT team that are always prepared. Right. Right. So within 20 minutes, I had, you know, a full team deployment. They're on the ground. We're, we're able to um, make action. And we spent the next you know two days going through it. But ultimately, we have so many factors that go into it, and we want to make sure that we are 100% prepared. Um, so no matter what the scenario was, before we go to that house, it could go seven different directions. And Starfall SWAT team's prepared for that. It doesn't matter which way it goes. We have a plan, and we review those plans prior to that um, action even taking place. And that all is mitigating risk. Right. And you can't do that without tremendous training, because if we had to take the time and go, OK, if this happens, this happens. That's not how it is. No. I say one word and everybody understands that concept. And right. You got that through intense training with great organizations where the commitment of sending your team to them, to these different groups, organizations Correct. to train. So tell us some of the best training that you've had. Um, so me, you know, I've. I'm a training snob and I go to training all the time and I'm like, that was a real waste of my time um, because some people are just there for money or selling something, right? right. That's what training is for police. And I you, think and that burns out administrators too. It does for sure. And, and I think that's why you want to make sure that you have a group in law enforcement that can communicate, hey, this is good training. This is worth the money. So you're not wasting that time and money, but that's a whole other podcast. Um, but uh, MTOA is who we go through. Um, so Mississippi Tactical Officer Association. Thank you um, for clarifying. Right, right. So they, so they do, they do a tremendous job, and they actually do a two-week SWAT school. Um, and the first thing when I got to be team leader, you know, I came to uh, the chief and I said, "Hey, these are the changes that I want to make. You know, I want to implement PT test has to go through the roof. Shooting standards have to go through the roof. Personnel is not going to like it. We're going to change. So, and then I want to make sure we're going to this school." And so far, we've started sending people through the school, and the growth that they get over two weeks is tremendous. Yeah. Um, their ability to come back and train and teach, but not only that, it gives you um, every single day is a different way of teaching and training, right? So when you come back, you have a year's curriculum to go back over, right? And you can spend ample amount of time, but it's, it's been tremendous for us. Um, and I think it's always so grown where there was probably five or six agencies, and now there's probably 10 or 12 states sending their teams to this school in North Mississippi, um, and they do a tremendous job, and then they continue to add training. So anything that SWAT teams need, like if we need a ballistic shield training, they'll reach out, they'll get the best down there, and they do it at an affordable cost, 
And so we were able to send people to schools that would cost probably five times the normal amount to send to a school like this. Right. We do it for a fraction because of this organization. Yeah, no doubt. And I, I think it's been amazing for our personnel and very appreciative of it. Do you feel as though patrol training should lean more towards tactical training or do you think that that should just be for certain officers because not everyone reacts the same way when given that training at the same time no one like everyone learns differently right um a hundred percent we do tactical training for our front lines officers because they're the first person Mm -hmm. there right we would love for every major event to be oh the SWAT team's on standby Mm -hmm. right here but it's not how it happens but not to mention their day and you have to understand that an officer's day goes from highs to lows all day right it may go from a car crash to a basic call to um you know something much more stressful um major events and then the next call they have is literally somebody complaining because their neighbor's mowing the yard too late in the evening right so they have to be able to go from highs to lows and if you don't have that tactical training those stressful situations will stay with you right Mm -hmm. and that affects bad decisions later um or poor decisions maybe not bad decisions but you want to make sure that everybody's trained mm-hmm. and you want everybody met to the standards. Because if everyone doesn't understand what the standards are, then they're all going to fall back to where it starts, right? If mm-hmm. he's not doing it, why am I doing it? And you don't want to get into that process. So I think tactical training, we understand the importance of it. Mm-hmm. There's a reason why we do things and have ramped that stuff up. Um, you know, I can remember a time where we did active shooter training once a year on patrol, but everybody else in SWAT was doing it all the time, right? Mm-hmm. And now we've done it probably, this is probably the fourth time we've done it in 12 months because every time we see an opportunity or a good training venue, we take it and we go at it. Um, but yeah, 100%, you know, probably more than 60% of the training, once you get the basics, the rest should be tactical training. You should be ramping that up, and um, that's the only way to get things done. Yeah, it's not a lot of difference. If, if you're doing it right, your patrol officers on the tactics um, part shouldn't be that different from your SWAT. SWAT trains a lot in specialized weapons and how to utilize those specialized weapons. But at the end of the day, your officers, whether it's your less lethal, how to approach, how to check a building, all these things, they have to be developed on a tactical mindset, not just reaching back to their years at the basic police academy, right? Um, But where it's something current, fresh, they're able to perform. If they do this, they're less emotional. I can't stress that enough. You need to be very pragmatic in going off of your training skills, not relying upon emotions when you're entering those situations. Emotions are going to make bad choices. And so that comes down to just comfortability with the equipment, knowing your team, and our shifts, uh, to a credit to our shift supervisors, a lot of agencies out there during low times, they train together. And I think the hardest part is to find training locations. Yeah. You know. It's a scramble. <laughs> it is a scramble. You let an abandoned building pop up. Uh, yeah, everybody's fighting for it. <laughs> yeah, us, the fire department, everybody. Yeah, everybody's yeah. fighting for it. Uh, no doubt. But that that's common throughout and, mm-hmm. and throughout a lot of um, uh, states, wherever you go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Are there any, like, types of training that someone could do at home or you would recommend like in their free time? I think the biggest thing is physical health, mm-hmm. right? Physical health leads to mental health. Um, working out, even if it's two or three days a week, mm-hmm. is, is I, I can't even explain the benefits of it. Um, and people don't talk about it enough, but even nutrition, that's things you need to focus on when you're at home, especially if you're a law enforcement officer. I can't tell you how many times on patrol I've looked down at 6 p.m. and I didn't eat anything. Right. So being able to prepare for the next day, right, taking in those proper meals, getting a good workout in 
And then once you get that on a step uh, on an established level, then start doing those homeworks, right? Doing these dry works at home, going through scenarios and calls and having a solution for it. Because sometimes if you've never thought about anything, you're going to have that wheel spinning trying to figure it out. Just sitting down and thinking about if this happens, I would do this. And then talking about people or talking about that with people is tremendous. And I think that there's a lot of things you can do, but it starts with physical fitness, nutrition, and um, taking care of yourself more than anything else. Because what we do is a stressful job and it's not, um, it's not made for everybody. That's why everybody doesn't do it. Yeah. And from a smaller agency standpoint, for those out there listening, that's where that one turns to two, turns to three, turns to four, and then you change your culture. And so that's one of the things I'm very proud about with our agency, as well as several that we work with through MTOA. They have the culture. They've got that yet where they know, okay, th- we can learn from everything. We're going right. to make mistakes. Let's learn from them. Let's train our way out of it. And I think that's a very important uh, approach. And Tyler, with that being said, you know, you kind of hit on what's the What's something you want to leave our listeners with as we start to wrap up with the podcast? Um, I think for us in tactical training, you know, since that's our topic that we're going off of, um, it is contagious, right? And if you have people that are able to, it's just like sort of like gear. When everybody has the cool gear, everyone else wants the cool gear. But if everyone's doing the training, you see people that are more in shape. Hey, you know, when do you work out? I want to work out with you. Hey, when are you training? I want to train with you. And I think it can start from the bottom or the top. And that's one thing that people don't understand in, in law enforcement. Tactical training can be adhered anywhere. And there shouldn't be an excuse of, I don't have the resources, I don't have, you know, the support, because resources are everywhere. Everyone would love to help police departments. There's plenty of training organizations that are out there that, while free training, free capabilities, even if it's through a, you know, a a PowerPoint, anything's better than nothing. But I think tactical training is very important. If we don't gain experience through the actual event, you have to get it somewhere else. And that's what it boils down to. And real experience through real training, consistent training is very important. Yeah, no doubt. And I think the science is going to back that up when you take a look at training and performance. Listen, we're in the middle of football season. We say this all the time. How can we go and expect to win if we're never practicing? Right. How, how effective would our football teams be right. if we're not out there practicing and, and doing our absolute best? So as we wrap it up and we talk about, uh, you know, improving police agencies and stuff like that, the the key to this is going to be training. Uh, it's got to be a core component of that. We've got to support it. Glad we've got it here. Uh, glad a lot of accredited agencies have it, some that are not accredited, but something that a lot of other agencies can pick up on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for talking with us. I enjoyed it. <laughs> thank you, Massive.